the past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Welcome to The Career Thank you for joining us here today. We are kind of on a leadership kick here. We talked about power and influence last week. Very fascinating topic and very effective in what I've seen when people apply it in the workplace. So if you didn't catch that one, go back and listen to last week's show on power and influence. Some great resources that I shared there and some ways of thinking about how you be more effective in your job, whether you're an individual contributor or a CEO, power and influence plays into how you're effective or how you're not on a pretty regular basis. So today I thought we'd talk a little bit about effective leadership and some of the, oh, let's say, cliche words that I hear thrown around are actually words that could have a little bit more meaning and maybe even have some process around them if we thought about it a little bit. So people often talk about transformational leadership and there's actually a process around that. You can be a transformational leader. We're going to talk about that one later today. People talk about being effective or or productive. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today and then principles you know being ethical or being a a leader with principles we're going to talk a little bit about that today so just maybe a little overview of leadership and how you can be better in leadership and remember of course that leadership doesn't mean that we are in a formal positional place of power with our words from last week but that we might be in that more informal leadership role or have the opportunity to claim some personal power in situations to have more influence on our world and to be more effective in our work, even if we aren't a quote-unquote leader with direct reports. So first topic and first thoughts coming from an oldie but a goodie, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from Stephen Covey. So these are the seven habits, things that, you know, you read and you reread and you go back and you think about, because I think they're things that all of us can get better at all the time. No one is great at all of these things all the time. So habit number one is to be proactive. And this is kind of within the context of the fact that we all are dependent in some phase of our life and maybe even in some phase of our position at a, at a company, we're more dependent. And to grow out of that dependence into independence, the first habit is to be proactive. One of the takeaways from this section for me is that we often think about it in terms of stimulus and response and that I am kind of at the whim of responding to whatever people do quote unquote to me and 
you know, I probably saw this play out in the most extreme of circumstances with individuals who were in a halfway house here in in my town, used to volunteer there and help the, the gentleman, was a group of gentlemen that I worked with at the halfway house look for work. And based on their experience, they were used to feeling like they had things done to them, that they were in a constant role of responding and not able to be proactive in their environment. And one of the things that my co-facilitator for that group did, which was just miraculous, and Kate Douglas is a wonderful counselor, she had the individuals practice some mindfulness techniques to recognize when their body was telling them that they were about to respond in a negative way and maybe start to choose how they responded. So that is this idea of stimulus and response, and as Stephen Cove Covey calls it here, the freedom to choose how you respond based on your self-awareness, which is what we were trying to increase for these gentlemen was their their self-awareness and perhaps also their imagination or thinking of different ways that they could respond. One of the most powerful tools we as leaders and communicators can use, and we learn it and use it a lot in the counseling world, is making sure that people can come up with three different options when they're thinking about how to respond to something. This is important because when there's just two options, there's a good and a bad or a mine and yours, there's always a value judgment on those two. Even if you're brainstorming, if you've only got two ideas, they will inherently fall into some kind of good, bad, yours, mine kind of category. So when you're working with other individuals, and you're problem solving, or especially if you're a leader and you're helping them come up with different ways that they might do something, it's important to come up with at least three options and probably not too many more than that or you get overwhelming. But we need at least three options so that we can help people go from this kind of stimulus response phase to really thinking through how they want to respond and that those options aren't, you know, black, white, good, bad, but that we are helping them think of many different ways they can respond and perhaps even if we're in the right role, helping them through, think through why they might choose a different type of response or another. So that's this first, the background for this first habit is to be proactive, to think about how you can short circuit that, that tendency for stimulus and response and Of course, we'd like to get ahead of it and perhaps influence it before the stimulus happens, but at the least to think about that relationship and how you can do things differently. He has some good language in here. Um, This is the seven habits of highly effective people. And Stephen Covey has some good language to think about reactive versus proactive. And a lot of this happens during customer service, can happen during meetings, thinking about going from reactive language, like there's nothing I can do, to more proactive language, let's look at all alternatives, or reactive language, you know, they won't allow that. So if you're thinking of a a team and you're brainstorming and someone says they won't allow that, well, maybe we could create an effective presentation that would help influence them to make that decision. 
these are things I think we can do in our daily life. I have to do that. I choose to do that or I get to do that is much more proactive, positive language. And we can do that to ourselves on a regular basis. I can't. I choose not to. Right? There are some proactive languages there. So that we can think about instead of I have to or I must, I choose or I prefer, I can't. You know, you're really choosing to do something. And I know a lot of people even work on try. You know, I'll try. And that language isn't very proactive, not very committal, depending on what the conversation is. How could you change that language to be more positive and proactive? So when we think about our proactive focus then our proactive focus is really on the things that we can change on the the areas where we have influence and in enlarging that area of influence and perhaps thinking about what we can influence pushing that out into what he calls the areas of concern or circle of concern instead of letting that circle of concern push inward on us circle of influence smaller so figuring out what we can control how we can influence that and paying attention to ways that we can increase our influence as we talked about last week so that we can have more influence over the areas of control that we'd like to have and continue to be more effective and more proactive so habit number two is begin with the end in mind This kind of goes back to our conversation in the work of leaders of being able to have a vision and know where we're going to end up that then we can design things to be a certain way and move people towards things instead of having a a vision perhaps thrust on us. So he talks about being becoming your own first creator so having that proactive approach and an an imaginative approach so that we're coming up with ideas and can create our own future this is what i talk about a lot when i talk about managing your career right if we are taking care of ourself and really being proactive in our career there's less likely going to be things that happen to us that really stop us in the tracks so that when we are unemployed, we have a network because we've been proactive with our career. We have thoughts about what we might do because we've been proactive with our career. That's what Stephen's talking about here is if we're just sitting back and letting things happen to us, we're going to be in trouble and we're going to be less effective throughout our career let alone just in our in our job. So what can you do to set your own personal goals, your own personal vision of what you want to accomplish where you are, where you'll be next, what the bigger picture looks for you, looks like for you? Because that vision is something that keeps you moving, keeps you striving, keeps you connecting versus sitting back and waiting for things to happen to you and not being able to react quickly enough or you know having to react instead of having some proactive actions that you've taken to make whatever change it is that happens easier on yourself and i read an 
Inker, I think it was an Inc. article recently, that we are going to change jobs on average up to, it's getting closer to three, every three years, every three years on average. So that's a lot. And if we are thinking we're going to be at a place forever or we are not paying attention to what the next step might look like, we're, we're going to be in a reactive place and not the best place for us to be. So those are the first two habits. The last one in this kind of dependence phase is putting the first things first. So this is a pretty classical discussion around time management and prioritizing. And he uses the quadrant system of urgent, not urgent, important, not important, It's a good system if you've never tried it. So what's urgent, not urgent, what's important, not important. And then you come up with these four quadrants and can prioritize using those quadrants. So those are the first three habits. When we come back, we're going to go through the rest of them and then dive into some of these other topics around principle-centered leadership and transformational leadership. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to Make a Difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. What can we do to prepare for a career-altering interview or presentation, land an important deal, or simply play a great game of golf? These activities depend on preparation and execution, which grouped together we call performance. Uncover the mysteries of our mind and unlock the secrets of great performance by illuminating the mental side of life. When we better understand why we do the things we do and what keeps us from accomplishing our goals, we elevate our success. Listen for The Mental Game of Life with Dr. Christie, Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. 
Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant. This is Marie Zimanoff, and we are talking about leadership today and diving a little bit deeper into some of the terms or cliches that we hear a lot or maybe back into some old books that you've read before and dusting them off. So we've been talking about Stephen Covey's highly effective people, of course, not just for leaders, but for all of us. And we talked through the first three habits, being proactive, beginning with the end in mind, and putting the first things first. Now, to talk a little bit about moving from that dependence, or is, and then he talks about kind of into the interdependence, where, of course, we're working with people, but we're interdependent on them. We're not that kind of sitting around waiting for direction. We're interacting and, and participating at a higher level in the conversation or organization. And the first habit in this section is thinking win-win. And I recently heard someone talking about negotiation, salary negotiation, Alan, and uh, a colleague at the Association for Talent Development, Association for Talent Development Conference. And Alan was talking about negotiation and it's so simple, but he said the reason that most of our negotiations fail is because we go into it like we're going into a used car sales where we will win if we get the best price and we will lose if we pay too much. And that's our mindset, our, our, our picture of negotiation oftentimes is that, that when we go in to talk about salary or, or negotiate, whatever it might be, we often have a win-lose mindset even if we think that we're going in win-win because we have been so conditioned to think about it this way. And what's interesting actually is that millennials and the younger generations are avoiding that kind of negotiation. They don't shop the same way at car lots. And you'll see if you pay attention that a lot of car lots have changed the way they operate so that there is no negotiation. For instance, when we bought my most recent car, you went to a dealership and it was it was billed as that. This is a no hassle pricing. This is the price. We've cut out whatever the dealer fees, but you knew going in that there you weren't going to negotiate. And that's what my husband and I preferred rather than going to a place where the price was higher than any of the other places and you could maybe get a deal and win, we would just rather not haggle. And that's a fairly widespread phenomenon among the the millennial and younger age groups. You'll see car vending machines now, right? Where you can, I, I think the closest one to us is in Memphis because my husband's all excited about it, that you can go and buy a car and it comes down out of the vending machine. So this idea of you already know what the price is, someone's helping you, they're not selling to you, is changing how we think of negotiation and maybe those Gen Z and, and younger won't walk into a negotiation thinking about it as a used car sale. But I remember going to sit with my mom when she bought a new car and the haggling that would happen over the lease and the lease deal and the lease terms. And we would be there all day, ridiculous. 
And so that's what we think about a lot of times when we walk into a negotiation. If we're not conscious and challenging our own our own unconscious or subconscious thoughts around it. He talks about the five dimensions of win-win, character, relationships, agreements, supportive systems, and processes. Because, of course, you can set up a process to be win-lose like the car sales process used to be. Or you can set it up to be more win-win like they're doing more of today. So, as you approach your... As you approach your negotiations, your conversations, even how you develop your processes, thinking about how you can design them in a way to be win-win. And last tip there is thinking about how considerate we are of, of others and then also how much courage we have to, to be considerate of others that leads us to that win-win relationship. Very interesting ideas there. Habit number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. My favorite book around this topic, and it's a book all in of itself around this topic, is From Debate to Dialogue. Really thinking about instead of winning the conversation, and this is a lot to do with win-lose as well, Instead of winning the conversation, what would it be like if we just focused on understanding where that other person is coming from and really understanding without forming our arguments in our head as they're talking, which a lot of us do. And really thinking about, are we being, are we practicing empathy? Again, that really trying to feel what someone feels and understand what they're feeling. It's it's really about listening with intent to understand, seeking first to understand. And this is hard. <laughs> and I've had some clients say, well, you know, I really just don't care what the other person thinks or feels. And that's going to be a problem for us probably long term. If we don't care what the other person thinks or feels, we don't have to agree. We don't have to get them to agree. That's the great part about empathic listening is we're really just listening to understand so that then we might make our decisions and move forward based on that understanding. It may change how we move forward. It may not. But the main point of that is that we're first seeking to understand and we're listening to understand rather than listening to respond or argue, or convince, or even influence, right? We talked about power and influence last week. If we're listening to understand first, ironically, we'll actually have more influence when we make a decision, even if it doesn't fit with what that person wanted, because we listened to understand first before we we moved into our decision-making and moving forward. So the last habit, is synergize it would be you know kind of a dirty word today that one of those overused corporate words so what are we talking about here opening our heart and mind to expressions to new possibilities alternatives and options so this kind of goes back to that idea of habit two where we're getting everybody together and we're thinking 
collaborative. Remember, we're not putting it into a, a, a stimulus and response framework. We're taking the time to be creative. And this is just talking about doing it with others. So looking for the synergies with other people, looking for the opportunity to collaborate with others in that effort to be proactive. So being synergistic is that win-win level of communication and talks about cooperation and trust. So when we have a low level of trust and we're low in our cooperation with others, we're going for that win-lose or, or lose-win type of situation. We're thinking about how we can get something out of it because we don't trust that other person and we don't really want to cooperate with them. Then as we move up, we might be more cooperative and we trust them a little bit more, so we might compromise. And that might be a respectful situation. It's a compromise. It's not really a win-win. It's kind of a lose-lose in some ways. Compromise is, is a lose-lose. And what we're looking for is those opportunities to communicate with high levels of trust and high levels of cooperation where we're really going for the win-win. And if you feel yourself continually interacting with someone where it feels like there's a defensiveness or it feels like there's a, a win-lose going on, those are the areas where you might look at in terms of trust, and usually trust is where it's at, what's going on in terms of trust and how can you build trust with each other? Where did you lose the trust with each other? Can you go back and fix that so that you can have more of that win-win approach or at least move to where you're compromising in um, a more respectful way and not pitting each other into that lose-win-win-lose interaction. So when we think about being effective or being productive at work, we often think about it in terms of just one of these habits, mostly putting the, the first things first is what everybody talks about when they talk about being productive or being effective. So these are other things to think about. Yes, is it is it important that you put the first things first? Yes. However, if we're not being proactive, it's going to be harder to put the first things first. If we're not beginning with the end in mind, it's going to be harder to put the first things first. And if we're not, if we're just staying in that bottom part of the triangle, as he has them here, and we're not really interacting with others and bringing others into the situation, we might be putting the first things first, but it's just our first things. So we still might not be effective or productive because we're working in too much of a vacuum. So we need to move into that place where we're thinking win-win. We're really seeking to understand others and synergize so that we can have public victory, as he calls it, not just private victory. Private victory is great, but it's not going to help our career. It's not going to win us promotions or business or move us forward in any way, even as an individual contributor, because that public victory is so important, right? Having other people involved in the successes that we have 
because other people are really who are going to help us move into the next phase of our position, get great projects that we want, or get that promotion or new job. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. We're going to talk a little bit about principles and ethics in in professional in our professional life and in leadership. And then we're going to talk about transformational leadership. One of those buzzwords, what does that really mean and how can you do that? We'll be right back in just a few minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. If you want to hone the right skills to become a CEO or stay there as a competitive strategic leader, check out CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. You'll learn the tips to success and hear from the experts who are at the top of their games. You'll make your company stand out from the competition and build your own reputation in the process. Top executives are made, not born. So take charge of your future growth. Listen for CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific on Voice America Business. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant, and today we're talking about some leadership foundations from some of the goodies and oldies in terms of leadership perspectives. We talked about effective, highly effective people, Stephen Covey's highly effective people, the seven habits, seven habits of highly effective people, and now we're going to talk a little bit about principle-centered leadership. And when I first moved into my own business years ago, one of the opportunities I took advantage of was an organization in my community that was doing some work around courage and courageous leadership, created a kind of a 
program around that led by the book by Gus Lee, Courage, the Backbone of Leadership. Gus Lee happens to be a consultant for one of the companies that is here locally. So his book was kind of being promoted around locally. And the whole idea behind it was, could you make good decisions even when it wasn't going to benefit you personally or maybe even look good for you personally? Could you do the right thing even if it wasn't the right thing for you personally? Maybe you would look bad or, you know, whatever it might be. And seems like kind of an easy thing perhaps well of course I could or of course I can and I do but what I saw was that a lot of people would struggle with this not because they didn't know what the right thing to do is or even because they didn't try to do it because but because there's a lot of forces within a company that would stop them not necessarily on purpose but just because that's the way things are set up so let's say that you are And I worked with a gentleman once who was working on a medical device. And obviously the precision and quality of that medical device are imperative. And here comes into his workplace the ideas of Lean and Six Sigma. I don't necessarily think the ideas of Lean and Six Sigma were meant to be at odds with quality. But the way that many companies implement them, they end up being at odds with quality because it's got to be fast and lean and and what have you. It's got to meet all of these metrics, which quality may be one of the metrics, but it typically doesn't get the time dedicated to it that the other metrics around waste and time spent on something and labor and cost, those get usually the top billing in terms of what's being measured. And so he's creating these devices that are going to do surgery on, you know, pretty critical organs for people and starting to feel like the paradigm has shifted too far away from quality and too much towards the bottom line. And I don't think that those two things are separate either. Eventually your bottom line is going to suffer if your quality is bad on a surgical instrument, right? It's what are you looking at in the short term and how are you balancing all of those things? Because of course we know that you can do things fast, right, or cheap. You can't usually do them fast, right, and cheap. So, critical decision wants to make sure that these things are quality, but the overall process of the organization isn't supporting that. Now, if you asked any one person within that organization is quality important, they'd say yes. And yet the big kind of corporate machine he felt like was moving out of sync with those values. This happens. How do you make a decision? How do you do what's right? he ended up leaving the company because he couldn't reconcile those things. And that happens. But within those business decisions, how do you have courage and how do you stick to your principles? As a Rotarian, and and you may be familiar with Rotary International, we simplify it perhaps a a little bit to the, what we call the four-way test. Is it the truth, 
Will it be beneficial to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? And, you know, it's, it's a little bit more simple in terms of thinking through things. We go and do that test with, and we used to go and do it with high schoolers, kids that were in their first year of college. And, you know, we had one scenario, I remember once, where someone's a park ranger, because the students are usually going for more vocational types of jobs. And one of them was a, a park ranger in this instance. And you're a park ranger and one of your friends, you catch one of your friends poaching. And what do you do? You know, first, is it the truth? Were they really poaching? And then you get into, well, you know, what's beneficial to everyone and whose friendships really matter. And, and even with those pieces of the four-way test, it's not a clear-cut decision. And that's the challenge with most ethical decisions, right, is that they're not a clear-cut decision. And there's many pieces and parts and people that are impacted by what we decide. So when I think about this principle, principle-centered leadership we know, of course, that it's not easy. I like the way that he breaks this down in the very beginning to think about personal principles. So are you trustworthy? Because we talk a lot about trust and building trust with others, but we don't really talk that much about what me personally being trustworthy looks like. And maybe it can be simplified simplified to do we do what we say we do can we do what we say we'll do those really foundational principles to trust and one of my colleagues teaches trust with a balloon because it takes a lot to build trust right lots of air to blow up that balloon and it takes very little to pop it So he talks about the darts that pop our our trust balloon, whether that's deceit or lies or lack of follow through. Doesn't take much to break trust, unfortunately, but it takes a lot to build it, similar to our, our reputation, you might think. Interpersonal is that trust because, of course, we're building it with other people. So am I trustworthy And then do I build trust with other people as I'm interacting with other people? Talks about managerial principles, principle-centered leadership being empowerment. So I'm not a huge fan of the empowerment word because it means I have power that I'm sharing with others. And, And of course, we know that we can't really give power to others, but I can create situations that let people more easily claim their own power, which is what a good manager can do. Set up systems, processes that let other people claim their power and and be empowered. And then organizational alignment. So overall, as a big picture leader, am I aligning the organization together? Do I have that clear vision? And do I have company values? that are principled? Am I living out the principles in that company vision? And I would say that this was probably what was going wrong with my client's organization when he was struggling with the quality versus profit 
struggle. He was seeing that lack of alignment at the very top of his organization, which of then course flows down to the managerial and interpersonal pieces of principle and trust being degraded as well. So thinking about our, our idea of influence, and if we're going to influence in a principled way, as we talked about last week, it's really about building a foundation from which to influence. And those go back to some of the most used ways of influencing, which are relational. And Stephen Covey in this book calls them making deposits. They've got to be real. They can't be fake or manufactured deposits. They've got to be real relational deposits that we're making by having real relationships with people that we work with and building trust and doing those other normal everyday things that we often forget to do or don't take the time for because we're so focused on the tasks or perhaps our overt attempts to influence, which is telling, explaining, and teaching. I've been working with some people on their sales strategy lately and thinking about how this applies to sales. Of course, it's tricky because when you're selling, you want to perhaps explain a little bit about your process, especially if you're selling a service or a non-tangible good. You can only do those things to a certain extent because people still buy or they still do business with you based on more relational influence, not not that overt telling, persuading, using data type of influence. So he talks about five, talks about Um, methods of influence that fall into categories. So thinking about who we are and how we act, and this is hard, but on a daily basis, how negative are we? Do we show patience with other people? Do we distinguish between the person and the behavior? It's a parenting technique. It's also a managerial technique. Performing anonymous service Choosing the proactive response, which we talked about in the seven habits, keeping the promises we make, focusing on our circle of influence, and really encourage obedience to the laws of love, would do the things that we would want other people to do to us, right? Relationship. Assume the best of others. That's a hard one. That one is probably one that you could work on just by itself. Assume positive intent, and if you could just master that, you'd be a much better communicator and a much better leader, whether you're a leader or an individual contributor. Seek first to understand. We talked about that. Reward open, honest expression, so being careful about how we react when someone gives us their honest opinion. Give an understanding response, and if offended, take initiative, apologizing for our mistakes, and really going one-on-one when we need to have that conversation, renewing our commitment to the things we have in common, again, that common vision, 
and accepting the person and situation. And I like this being influenced by others first. So when we want to have influence, have we taken an opportunity to let that other person influence us first? So we're going to come back and finish up talking just briefly about these principles and how we can have more influence as a principled leader. And then we're going to talk at the end about transformational leadership. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career you can have the foresight skills and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities a strategic advantage and career expert marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused get found and get hired Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays for our special series on partnerships. Changing the game for digital transformation. Learn how you can become the savvy leader who takes your organization across the finish line as you look ahead to the next wave of business innovation. Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation. Presented by SAP on the Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. So we've been talking about being a principle-centered leadership or principle-centered leader, and this is Stephen Covey, kind of an old classic, and kind of flows right in with what we were talking about last week in terms of influence, being influential by who we are and how we act, being influential by our relationships or through our relationships to people understand that we care. And then lastly, that kind of highest level of influencing, highest level meaning the most overt, do people do what I 
tell them or do I do what people tell me to do? So really thinking about what we say when we're going to tell people what to do and where is that coming from? What's my mind and my heart behind that? Avoiding fight or flight. So many people are going to fight or flight when they disagree. How can we be prepared to talk through differences instead of having that happen? Recognizing and taking the time to teach, agreeing on kind of the limits and rules, expectations, consequences. Don't give up and don't give in. To be that kind of disciplined, staying the course leader. Speak the language of logic and emotion. So being able to appeal to people's logic as well as what they're feeling and and being able to recognize and say what people might be feeling. Of course, delegating, involving people in meaningful projects, training them in the law of harvest. So really being able to help people understand that they have to put effort into it when they're going to want to get something out of others and then letting natural consequences teach some things like behavioral things. So when we consider ourselves a a principled leader, it's really that idea of building trust, both with our, or starting with ourselves and being trustworthy than with others and moving that out across our organization to act in ways that prepare relationships ahead of time for when we need to make change or we need to get something done, we have those relational deposits. And of course, those will help us move through hard decisions and perhaps be able to have an impact if there is a values misalignment because we have the relationships more closely into our sphere of influence and then can work outward to affect the area of our concern through those relationships that we have because we have the social capital already built. So when we think about being a transformational leader, you know, people talk about that. I see it all the time on resumes or people want me to put it on their resume. And I always wonder, do they really know what that means? Or because it's not an adjective, really, it's a verb that you are transformational, meaning that you've led organizations through transformation or that you can do that, which takes a certain skill set as well. So this book, and this is definitely an an oldie here, The Transformational Leader, Noel Tiki and Mary Ann Devana. So this is, like I said, kind of goes through change management. And change management you know, it kind of comes and goes as a topic in terms of its popularity. But it's interesting looking through this book, which is from 1986. 1986, The Transformational Leader, talks about leading in turbulent times. And I think about 
oftentimes we think about where we are now as being the worst or, you know, this is the hardest. And I wonder, you know, if we talk to people who could not paint their perception, if they were able to look at the time in the past that was considered transformational or turbulent, is it really more turbulent now? It's different and definitely things are moving fast, but I wonder if it's our perception and our, our, our being in the moment of thinking that things are so much more turbulent now than they've ever been before. Anyways, so just interesting to see she's talking about leadership in turbulent times. And of course, we're hearing that right now all the time. People are talking about how to be a leader in these turbulent times, how to have resilience, mindfulness, all of those tools, which maybe weren't as prevalent in the 80s, but the idea and what's happening in businesses is definitely very similar. When you think about yourself as a transformational leader, how can you make that more tangible? And this book talks about the process that we go through when we make transformation within an organization. And you may have a different construct for this process. However, it's a good exercise to go and look at what do you know about change management and change management management process and how do your skills help move an organization through that process or how have you in the past? How can you put something a little bit more tangible to this and where are your strengths? Because of course, we're all going to have strengths and weaknesses in these different processes. So this talks about triggers for change the many different businesses are going to have many different triggers for change, but then there becomes an, a place where people are recognizing the need for change, hopefully before it's too late, right? Recognizing the need to make a change. And you may think about this even personally. If you're thinking about making a career change, when did you start to recognize that need for change? And then almost to immediately, as soon as you feel it, then you start to resist it because that's our, our natural tendency and wanting to jump into that quick fix. And instead, and trying to stick away from disengaging and, and being disenchanted with where we are, we start trying to create that new vision. And one of our topics we were talking about earlier can you create that vision for yourself and deal with you know endings and beginnings as you're moving through them and then lastly that institutionalizing the change or for you personally that might be actually making the change in in your life and making it work and doing all of the things it takes to make whatever change it is that you're thinking about happen and talks about creative destruction. I like that creative destruction and reweaving the social fabric. And we have to do that within organizations. We also have to do that for ourselves when we make a big change, career change, relationship change. And what is your inner realignment to that new direction? How can you move to where your new vision is aligned with where you are? 
And new scripts, of course, as a counselor, we're always talking about the scripts that you're telling yourself about where you are and where you want to go and how you got there. And then using that new energy to build on as you move forward. So where are your strengths as a, reader, as a leader? Recognizing when it's time to change, creating that new vision, institutionalizing and, and perhaps operationalizing that change. And if we can recognize where our area of strength is, we can put ourselves in positions to be that role on the team and to really be that transformational leader and work within a team that's transforming because we know our strengths and are engaging into places where we can use those strengths. So next week, we're going to have Marietta Gaines Crawford on the show. She's going to be talking about her expertise in branding. She's got a great style. She's very fun. You'll enjoy listening to her. So join us here next week to hear from Marietta and our Career Thought Leadership will we'll keep coming at you from the Career Confidant. And, of course, you can always reach out to me at Marie, M-A-R-I-E, at astrategicadvantage.com. We look forward to seeing you right back here again next week on the Career Confidant. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.